Good morning. Happy New Year. Thank you. It's good to see all of you here with us this morning as we've come to worship the Lord together. Our scripture reading for this morning comes from Hebrews 13, verses 7 to 16. Please stand with me for the reading of the word. In Hebrews chapter 13, starting in verse 7, this is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then, Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Amen. You may have a seat. All right, so if you have been with us for the past few weeks, you'll know that we've been in a series called We Are Pilgrims. So in this series, Pastor Chris, he's been working his way through the final chapters of Hebrews, and he's been focusing on the fact that we, a pilgrim people, are living in between the two advents, the two comings of Jesus. So just think for a moment about what the book of Hebrews has to say about this. It's, it's so encouraging to read the, the, the beautiful explanation that the author there provides us of Jesus's first and second coming. So, so just a few examples. For us and for our salvation, Jesus, God the Son, the long-awaited Messiah, the Deliverer, He took on flesh. Hebrews 2.17 says He was made like His brothers, made like us in every respect. He was fully God. He was fully man. And in every respect, Hebrews 4.15 says, He was tempted as we are, yet he was without sin. He lived a life of perfect obedience to God where we have failed. And while he did nothing to deserve death, remember, he was sinless. He, Hebrews 9.14 says, offered himself without blemish to God, the once for all perfect sacrifice for sins. And with his own blood, he, Hebrews 10:12, offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. And then, after rising from the dead and accomplishing his mission, he sat down at the right hand of God. That's really good news for this morning, isn't it? But Jesus isn't going to stay there. Jesus is coming again. So Jesus sat down at the right hand of God. But Hebrews 10.13 tells us that he's waiting 
from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back to deal with his enemies, and that's not all. Hebrews 9.28 says that Christ, having once or having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. There's such good news for us in the book of Hebrews. Jesus came and he dealt with sin. He accomplished full forgiveness for everyone who would forsake their sin and trust in him. And he's coming back. He's coming back to fully perfect his people and to judge his enemies. And we are a pilgrim people who live in between these two advents, who live in between the first and second comings of Christ. And what this series has been all about is our need to recognize that and our need to fully embrace, to fully believe, to fully be encouraged by both the first and second comings of Jesus. Um, as Pastor Chris, he said this when he first kicked off, kicked off the series a few weeks ago, we need biblical bifocals. We need to focus on the first and second comings of Jesus. And you can't get through the book of Hebrews, especially the last few chapters, without getting help to do just that. And so this morning, we're finishing the We Are Pilgrims series by focusing on Hebrews 13, verses 13 to 16. We'll also take a look back starting at verse 7. But these verses, they give us an example of what it looks like to walk the pilgrim pathway, to live in between the advents. And so as we work through this text, we're going to see our need to respond to it in at least three ways. One, bear the reproach Jesus endured. Two, seek the coming city. And three, offer pleasing sacrifices. So first, bear the reproach Jesus endured. Look with me again at verse 13 of chapter 13. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. So the word therefore here, it tells us that we have some background work to do. So to better understand what's going on, let's take a step back and consider both the audience of the book of Hebrews and the content that's come just before verse 13. There's a, there's a lot to unpack here if we're going to really see and grasp uh, all, the, uh, all the grace uh, that's for us in verses 13 through 16 and all the ways that we can apply the text. So Hebrews, it was likely written to an audience composed mostly of Jewish Christians, uh, some of whom evidently were at risk of departing from Christ and following false teaching that emphasized obedience to the religious system of the Old Testament or current Jewish practice. This seems to be the case since Hebrews, it often cites from the Old Testament. It stresses the superiority of Jesus to angels, to Moses, to the Mosaic law. Uh, it calls readers to look to Jesus, to look to Christ and to per persevere in faith. And it even warns readers about the consequences of disobedience. And this scenario, this dynamic, it can be seen, at least in part, 
uh, right in the verses that precede our text for this morning, verses 13 to 16. And so there, and here's where we need to go back, I think, to to verse 7 of chapter 13. The author there is calling his readers to follow in the footsteps of their leaders who spoke to them the word of God and lived out their faith. Now, while these leaders evidently died in faith, Jesus, whom they confessed, and this is verse 8, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus never changes. Jesus will never die. Jesus can always, always be trusted. And that reminder, that exhortation seems to have been necessary for the people who receive this letter. Thus, the command that's given in verse 9, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. So apparently, some of these Christians were being tempted to look away from Jesus for spiritual nourishment, and instead to follow false teachings, which in some ways seem to be related to foods, uh, and likely connected to some form of current Jewish practice. And the author wants his audience to know that it's grace that strengthens the heart. Foods can't do that. In fact, they haven't benefited those devoted to them. How could they? Jesus and the author of Hebrews has pointed this out already in the book. He fulfilled the demands of the Mosaic law. Through his perfect life, through his sacrificial death, he ushered in a new covenant in which sinners gain salvation. They gain righteousness, they gain peace with God through faith in him, through faith in Jesus, not by following laws and regulations about food and drink. Those things were merely shadows of the good that was to come through Christ. So trusting in food and drink for strength, uh, when, when they were merely shadows, think about how, how, how ludicrous that is. It, it would be like us taking a trip to um, New York City and standing before the Statue of Liberty. And instead of admiring the statue, turning our back on it and taking pictures of its shadow. Or think of it another way. It would be like uh, me getting sick. And instead of going to the doctor to get the help to get the medicine I need, me asking my son to give me a shot with his fake syringe. That's not going to help me. It it can't. And and the situation here is even more insane. It's even more ludicrous than that. The, The recipients of this letter, they have Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He can always be trusted, and he's the one that gives us the grace we need for this life. He's the one who gives us spiritual nourishment, strength. Running to foods is, is, is foolish. And the author of Hebrews, he's already pointed out the weakness of that old system, that old law in chapter 9, in verses 9 and 10. There he says, according to this arrangement, that is the Mosaic sacrificial system, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of Reformation. Well, that time of Reformation came. It came in Jesus. 
And because of his finished work, because of his sacrificial death, Christians should strengthen their hearts. Christians should seek spiritual nourishment by looking to the grace available to them through Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in verses 10 to 12, the writer of Hebrews, he hammers his point home and explains why this is the case. So in those verses, he references the Day of Atonement. So the Day of Atonement was a ritual that took place once per year to atone for the sins of the Israelite people. On that day, a bull and a goat were sacrificed uh, for the sins of the people, including the priests, and their blood was taken by the high priest into the most holy place of the tabernacle and sprinkled on the mercy seat where the presence of God dwelt. And while the priest could partake or eat of the sin offering, uh, this wasn't allowed on the Day of Atonement. Uh, Leviticus 6.30 prevented that. So it wasn't allowed on the Day of Atonement since the animal's blood was brought into the tent of meeting to make atonement in the holy place. So instead of the priest being able to partake of the sin offering, toward the end of the ritual on the Day of Atonement, the bodies of the bull and goat, they were taken outside of the camp and they were burned. So partaking was not allowed. Now, in Hebrews 13, verses 10 to 12, the author, he picks up on this and he makes the point that Christians have an altar which I think refers to Jesus' sacrificial death, from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. So just as the bodies of the bull and goat were burned outside of the camp on the Day of Atonement, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate. He was crucified outside the city of Jerusalem in order to sanctify or make holy the people through his own blood. And just as the high priest could not eat of the sin offerings on the Day of Atonement, so those who look away from Jesus and follow this false teaching can't partake of his sacrifice and the grace he offers. So there's a lot going on here in this text, but this situation I I hope we see is serious. So the, the author of Hebrews is calling his readers to remain faithful unto Christ, to follow the path their leaders trod, Uh, their leaders trusted in Jesus, their leaders' confession was Christ, and the exhortation here is to go in that same path and to not buy into the way of this false teaching that can't help you. In fact, he wants his audience to know that if you do buy into that, if you look away from Christ, not only will you not be helped, but you'll miss out on the grace that's available, the superior grace, that's available to you through Jesus. So this is a serious situation. And it's based on this fact, this argument that the author has laid out, that he makes the conclusion that we're examining this morning in verse 13. So he's just said in verse 12, he said, So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. And now in verse 13 he concludes, Therefore... Let us go to him, that is Jesus, outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Jesus indeed endured reproach, a word that signifies insult and disgrace. He was rejected by his own people. 
He was called a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He was labeled a blasphemer. He was accused of breaking the Sabbath, and he was said to have cast out demons by the power of Satan. Ultimately, he was beaten, he was mocked, he was taken outside Jerusalem to a place called Golgotha, and he was executed on a Roman cross for laws he did not break, for sins he did not commit. And why did he do all of this? Why did Jesus bear this reproach, this disgrace? Well, he did it to do what that Old Testament religious system never could do. He did it to make sinners holy through his own blood, to reconcile us to God, to pay the full penalty for sin for everyone who would trust in him for salvation. And so now the recipients of this letter, they're being called to follow in the path that Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of their faith, already trod. They're being called to go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Now, listen to Peter O'Brien comment on what this probably meant for these readers. He says, quote, The most likely view is that the camp, so when the readers are being called to go outside the camp, Peter O'Brien's addressing this. So he says, The most likely view is that the camp stands for the established fellowship and ordinances of Judaism, grounded in the tabernacle rituals of the Old Covenant about which Hebrews has said so much. The exhortation of verse 13 is addressed to members of the house church to sever their emotional and social ties with the Jewish community, perhaps from interaction with an entity like the synagogue. The call to go to him, bearing the disgrace he bore, involves a shift from a safe position to a threatening one. To abandon their ritual and emotional ties with all their sacred associations inherited from remote antiquity was a hard but necessary thing for them to do. This would probably have social ramifications, including being marginalized and ostracized because of their confession of a crucified Messiah. Such insecurity would put severe pressures on them to conform to the norms of their wider society and thus to give up their faith. End quote. So do you see what's happening here in, in, in these verses, in verses 7 to 13? The author of Hebrews is exhorting his readers to stay faithful, to follow the path their leaders have trod, to not buy in to false teaching. He's explained why that false teaching cannot help them. And he's encouraging them to follow Christ, whom their leaders followed, and to follow Jesus, who went outside of the camp and bore reproach on their behalf to make them right with God. And for these readers, I think it likely meant what O'Brien says, this break from Judaism. Remember, the false teaching that they were encountering with foods likely was related to some type of Jewish custom or the Old Testament religious system. But if it meant that for them, then what does it mean for us? How do we apply that? Because we're not in that same situation. Well, I think we could say a few things. So one, for anyone who hasn't yet 
turned in faith to Jesus, I think there's a call here to trust in Christ for salvation and reject any and all efforts of earning your own righteousness. You may not, you may not be tempted to look to the Old Testament religious system to do that for you, but you might be drawn by other things like trying to be a good person, going to church on Sundays, donating your money to worthy causes, not committing the big sins like theft and adultery and murder, or maybe even completing a set of New Year's resolutions. Now, if that's you, if that's where you're at, the Bible has good news and bad news for you today. The bad news is you can't do anything to earn your own righteousness. Apart from Jesus, you are separated from God because of your sin, and your best efforts won't save you. They can't. But the good news is what the author of Hebrews has spent so much time explaining, that Jesus offered himself as an unblemished, a perfect sacrifice to God for sins. And now, because of what he did through his sinful life, through his sacrificial death, and through his resurrection, you can receive forgiveness for your sins and right standing before God by trusting in him. You can't do anything to earn that salvation. You simply come to Christ, you lay down your self-effort, you lay down your arms, and you trust Jesus to save you, and he is ready and willing to do just that. That's the good news of the gospel. Now, for those of us who are trusting in Jesus for salvation, I think there's a call here to continue to do so. It's so easy sometimes, I think, for us to live like we're on the scales with God, to think at any moment we might step out of line and fall out of His good graces. And so we live in fear, uh, wondering what God really thinks of us. Like, is He really happy with me? Is he really pleased with me? Uh, am I really at peace with him? How foolish is that, though, for us to think that way in light of all of the grace, the truth that's been given to us in Hebrews? If Jesus saved you, if he paid for your sins and gave you his righteousness, we should have no doubt where we stand with God. We are righteous before God because of what Jesus has done and that is a standing that cannot be revoked. You've been recreated in Christ. And what's been recreated cannot be uncreated. So, Christian, keep on trusting Jesus. Keep on believing in Him and trusting in His finished work on your behalf. Keep on running to Him and Him alone for grace each day. And finally, I think there's a call here for us to remain faithful as Christians to Jesus regardless of the consequences, regardless of the disgrace that may come for believing in Him. Now, this may mean different things for different people. If the Lord has called you to serve overseas in a hostile country, it could mean being faithful to that calling and being willing to face prison. 
persecution of various sorts, death. It could mean for those, for those of us who are called to stay here and spread the gospel uh, that we need to leave the comforts, not of America, but of our own home and walk to our neighbor's house and share the gospel to step out on a limb to tell a neighbor or a family member or a co-worker at Christ and being willing to bear any of the reproach that may come along with such an action. It may mean that the Lord is calling us to minister more faithfully uh, at places like the Mary Campbell Center or Urban Promise or Sunday Breakfast Mission or A Door of Hope being willing again to bear whatever reproach that may cost us. And it could mean simply walking faithfully with Jesus in the area he's called you to, in your workplace, in your home, in your school. And it could mean affirming and being willing and faithful to affirm what the Bible says, even when it's not convenient or popular to do so. So, if you do something like that, if, if, if you're willing to share the gospel, and if, if, if we're willing to, uh, to affirm what the Bible affirms, to reject what the Bible ejects, re- rejects, and to do so with a clear, consistent, and gracious voice, reproach may come. You might be thought of as that out-of-touch person who still holds to a doctrine like the virgin birth of Christ. You might be thought of that backwards individual who's on the wrong side of history for believing what the Bible says about popular issues in our culture like marriage and sexuality and the sanctity of life. Reproach is a real possibility for us, even here in America. And I think Hebrews 13.13 is calling us to faithfully follow Christ and to be willing to bear that, just as Jesus bore it for us. And so as we do this, it's important that we stay faithful. It's important that we continue to lovingly point people toward Jesus. It's important that we continue to affirm what Scripture affirms and to reject what it rejects. And as we do that, as we follow in Jesus' footsteps and bear the reproach he endured, we not only should look back, uh, look back at him who bore reproach on our behalf, but we should also look forward to the reward that's to come for those who endure. And this is our second point in verse 14. Seek the coming city. So let's read these verses together, verses 13 and 14. Um, Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. So I think the first thing that needs to be pointed out about verse 14 is that it explains the motivation behind obedience to verse 13. So in other words, why should readers go to Jesus outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured? What enables them to do that? Well, it's because they know that this city 
won't last. The city isn't their home. They're seeking the city that is to come. So this idea of forward-looking faith, it shows up multiple times in the book of Hebrews, as Pastor Chris has been pointing out over the past weeks. But on two occasions, this forward-looking faith is directly connected to reproach-bearing. The first concerns the reader's own past experience. So in chapter 10, in verses 32 to 39, the author invites his audience to recall former days when after they were enlightened, they endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partnered with those so treated. They had compassion on those in prison and joyfully accepted the plundering of their own property. Now, how were they able to do all of that? They knew, verse 34 of chapter 10, that they had a better possession and an abiding one. They knew that a bright future was coming. This idea also shows up in chapter 11 of Hebrews in verses 13 to 16 in relation to Moses. So there, readers are reminded that Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. And why did he do that? For he was looking to the reward. Moses, like these recipients of this letter, knew that a bright future was ahead. He knew that reward was coming for the faithful. So do you see what's happening in all of these cases here? The people of God are able to bear reproach. They're able to bear insult, disgrace, and shame precisely because they know that a reward, that a better possession, that a lasting city is coming. And so, like them, we need to be diligent to seek that coming city. So we need to intentionally remind ourselves, we need to fight to believe that this world is not our home, that this isn't all there is, that a very good ending is coming for everyone who remains faithful in Christ. This is what it looks like to live as a pilgrim people in between the advents. So you know why you can confidently, even joyfully bear reproach? It's because Jesus already came and he bore reproach for you. And it's because a day is coming when Jesus is coming back again and you will dwell with him along with all his people in a city where reproach, where insult and disgrace are no more. This is backward and forward looking faith. This is living in between the advents and like the passages that Pastor Chris has been working through these past few weeks, Hebrews 13, 13 to 16, is calling us to the same reality. Jesus has come and dealt with sin. He bore reproach on our behalf. A future city, a better city, a better possession is coming where reproach will be no more. And right now, we're right in between those realities. And so we need to look back at what Jesus has done We need to look forward at what he's going to do, and we need to be diligent, to be faithful, to fight for faith, to 
follow the path Jesus trod for us and be willing to bear the reproach he endured. Now, can you see the difference this kind of thinking makes in your walk with Christ? So what enables you to remain faithful when the heat gets turned up and you're pressured by friends, by family members to back down from biblical truth, whether that be related to doctrines like the exclusivity of Christ or a controversial issue like sexuality? Or what about when you miss out on a promotion at work because you refuse to sin in order to get a leg up? Or what about when your friends at school think you're lame because you, your faith in Christ won't allow you to participate in what you know is wrong? Or what about when you have a friend or a family member or a neighbor who stops talking to you or who avoids you because they know that you're a Christian and that you want to tell them about Jesus? Isn't it so comforting in the face of those hardships to know that, one, you're not being asked to endure anything that Jesus didn't already endure for you, plus some, and two, that this world isn't your home. That's what enables us to bear this kind of reproach. Now, consider for a minute uh, Derek Parks. Now, I know most of you don't know who that is, but Derek is a pastor who's planning a, a church called Epiphany Church Wilmington right here in our city. Derek was serving at Epiphany Church in Camden, New Jersey, but he began to discern a calling to plant a church in Wilmington after he read that Newsweek article I'm sure so many of us are familiar with that was called uh, Murder Town USA. Now, who in their right mind reads an article with that title and wants to press into that environment? I mean, that seems crazy. And in Derek's case, it's not just him who's coming here. He's coming with his wife and kids. Like, who does that? What enables you to make a move like that? Well, I'll let Derek share more with you about his story. And in fact, he's coming here next Sunday. He'll be preaching and, and sharing with us about his uh, work in our city. But for now, I'll say that I know Derek wants to see the Lord do something amazing in Wilmington. He wants our city, by the power of the Spirit, and, and, and I've heard him say this, and it's, it's, it's so encouraging, I think. He wants our city to move from Murder Town, USA, to Mercy Town, USA. And he knows that God's able to do that. And while I don't know if Hebrews 13, 13 to 16 has played a role in him discerning his calling to Wilmington, I think that it's safe to say that he can make a move here, one that does not come without risk of reproach because he knows what Jesus has done for him he knows that this world isn't all there is, and he wants to share that gospel hope with others. Now, God may not be calling us to the same work he's calling Derek to, but let me encourage you to think and pray about this week. What is he calling you to do? Maybe it is to leave the comfort of your job and take the gospel to an unreached people group where you might get killed for it. Maybe it is to step out in faith and 
share the gospel with that family member or with that neighbor you think might be hostile to you. Maybe it's simply to go to work or go to school this week and faithfully live out your calling as a Christian to do a good job at your job, being willing and ready all the time to share a reason for the hope that's in you and to face reproach for the name of Christ if that's what comes. So for all of us, Hebrews has so much to say about our need to follow the path that Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith, has already trod. And this text this morning continues to do so, continues to uh, paint this path for us in verses 15 to 16. So that brings us to our final point. Offer pleasing sacrifices. So look with me at verse 15. Through him, that's Jesus, so through Jesus then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So in these verses, the author of Hebrews encourages his readers to, through Jesus, continually offer up pleasing sacrifices to God. Now, in light of everything that we've just read and worked through, worked through, and especially uh, if you're familiar with the book of Hebrews and the argument that the authors presented there of what Jesus has done, I think this encouragement to offer sacrifices is really striking. So the, the author of Hebrews has, has just spent so much time explaining why animal sacrifices are no longer necessary. Remember, Jesus fulfilled the demands of the Mosaic law. He did what animal sacrifices were never able to do. He, the unblemished, the perfect, the once-for-all sacrifice, um, bore our sins, died a shameful death on the cross uh, to atone for our sins. And he did what he set out to accomplish to do. He made full atonement so that those sacrifices are no longer necessary. So what in the world is the author of Hebrews doing in verses 15 to 16 when he says to not just offer sacrifices, but through Christ to continually offer up sacrifices? Seems striking. Well, I think uh, the, the difference here is in the intent. It's in the motive of the sacrifice. So these sacrifices are unlike all of those animal sacrifices that were offered before. They're not being offered to God in order to atone for our sin. Jesus has already done that. Instead, they're being offered in response to what Jesus has done. They're being offered because we know that they are pleasing to our Father the, the, the motive there, the intent, the reason is, is different. And so our author has three types of sacrifices in view here. So the first is this sacrifice of praise to God, which he further defines as the fruit of lips that acknowledged his name. Now, in the Old Testament, worshipers offered a sacrifice of thanksgiving to God, but they did so, again, with 
and animal sacrifice. But now, remember, because of what Christ has done, those animal sacrifices are no longer necessary, but we can still offer this sacrifice of thanksgiving. And in fact, we're being called, we're being exhorted to continually do so. And hasn't the book of Hebrews, haven't these past few weeks given us, given us loads and loads of reasons to offer this sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise to God? And look at what Christ has done. We were in a mess of our own making that we couldn't get out of. We had sinned against God. We were rebels far away from grace. And Jesus, God the Son, stepped in uh, to time and space, took on flesh, fully God and fully man, and did for us what we couldn't do. Remember, he was the perfect, unblemished sacrifice, the once-for-all sacrifice for sins. He offered up his own blood so that we could be made righteous before God. And he accomplished what he set out to do. Jesus did it. He died on the cross, a shameful death where he was crucified outside the city gate of Jerusalem. But three days later, he rose in victory. And it's significant that when he was done, that after he rose, the text says he sat down at the right hand of God. When you sit down, you are finished. Jesus did what he set out to do and took a seat. And that is really, really good news this morning. So we have so many reasons to be thankful. And it's not just that. It's not just what Jesus did in the past. Remember what's coming. There's a bright future ahead. This bright future has motivated saints of the past, as we've seen the past few weeks, and it should motivate us today. The recipients of the book of Hebrews knew that. Remember chapter 10, verses 32 to 39? They were able to bear reproach because they knew what was coming. Moses knew that. Remember, he bore reproach because he knew what was coming. Saints of old have trod this path that Jesus trod, and we're being called to walk that same pilgrim pathway. And as we do, we have so, so many reasons to thank the Lord to be thankful, to offer, to offer sacrifices of praise, the fruit of lips that acknowledge God's name, that acknowledge his character. Now, as we do so, as we offer those sacrifices, remember that reproach may come. If we're doing this in the public square, if we're doing this in the culture, being willing to bear this reproach, uh, and praising God for who He is and what He's done. Different forms of persecution may come depending on where the Lord has called us. But because of what Jesus has done, we shouldn't be able to contain ourselves uh, when it comes to offer, offering these sacrifices of praise. But those aren't the only ones mentioned in verses 15 and 16. There's two more. So second and third are sacrifices of doing good and sacrifices of sharing what you have. Now, probably what's in mind here are acts of kindness for the benefit of the other, for the benefit of others, and sharing one's resources for others' well-being. 
Hebrews 13 has already provided some examples of what this looks like. So if you're still camped out there in this chapter, look at verses 1 to 3. So the author says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as those in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. So we can show these acts of kindness to others in need, whether that be hospitality, being, being willing and ready to open up our home to others and to minister to them through the resources God's given us. Or again, it could mean getting involved in uh, organizations in our city that are seeking to help people in need, like the Sunday Breakfast Mission, like the Mary Campbell Center, like A Door of Hope, like Urban Promise. There are multi- a multitude of ways that we can do this, and we can and should be intentional even to do this in our own body. We have people in our own body who at various times are in need. And one of the things that I think has been so encouraging in my time here has been seeing this church family step up and being willing to help each other. You know, we really are a family. We're in this together. And I think time after time, the Lord has given us grace uh, and enabled us to prove that. And so we need to continue in that good work, to continue in these acts of kindness, to continue in sharing the resources that the Lord has given us. And remember, what enables you to live like this This is sacrificial. Like if we're going to live like this, it's going to cost us our time. It's going to cost us our money. It's going to cost us our comfort. What enables you to live like this? Isn't it knowing that this world is not your home? So we need to continue to look back, to remind ourselves of what Jesus has done that he bore reproach on our behalf, that he suffered outside the gate for us. We need to look forward to the the city with foundations, to the city that's to come where reproach will be no more. And we need to live faithfully in the present here. Jesus has indeed come and offered himself as a sacrifice for sins. He lived a perfect life of obedience to God. He offered himself up as an unblemished sacrifice for sins, and he rose from the dead three days later. And after having completed his work of redemption, he ascended into heaven and sat down at God's right hand. We remember and celebrate these truths, the gospel, each time we take communion together. And I think it's fitting that on January 1st to start out the new year, this is a communion Sunday, kicking it off right, remembering what Christ has done for us by celebrating this meal, by partaking of this meal together. Lord, we are so thankful for what Jesus has done for us that... He stepped down. He came down to earth. He humbled himself 
by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Thank you, Jesus, for faithfully doing for us what we couldn't, for living a life of perfect obedience to God and as a sinless, the sinless sacrifice, offering yourself to God on our behalf and atoning for our sins. Father, thank you for the resurrection that Jesus did not stay in the grave, but that he rose victorious, that he later ascended to your right hand and that he sat down having finished his work. And Lord, thank you for the good news that Jesus is coming again. And so Lord, please be with us now as we partake of the communion meal together and remember the Lord's death until he comes. Give us grace here. Bless us here. And Lord, as we go out from this place today, please keep us faithful. Help us to be faithful imitators of Christ, faithful reproach bearers, uh, faithful sacrifice offerers. God, please do this in us by the power of your spirit for the glory of your name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.